Manor. Hello, welcome to the Tip Manor podcast. We've got a full lineup today. There is five of us, so this may be interesting and we may all end up talking over one another. But we've got myself, James, we've got Ben, Connor, John and Jack as well. But there's only really one place for us to start today and that's uh, talking about Jimmy Smith. So John, before we go on to the news, over to you to lead this. Well, I mean, it was just one of those moments like you properly notice one of those people when you think, Christ, that's that's just really, really sad. And I think true legend kind of gets banded around all the time, but he genuinely was. And I can't really tell you how I know he was like a massive legend for the club. I just know that he was. And um, I literally stopped dead in my tracks when I read it on my phone. And it was a proper, yeah. yeah, proper hit. I mean, Connor, you mentioned a story before we started chatting about him that perhaps you want to share. Yeah, um, I also echo what you just said, John. I was, um, I was out in, at the time. I was out in Belfast, and I looked at my phone, and I, I saw some of the messages from the guys. And I also just generally did to stop dead in my tracks because um, I've met Jim Smith on a number of occasions when I was a, a younger lad. Uh, I was around twelve. 12 years old it was sort of the 2006 sort of era when he when he came back to Oxford um and I was talking to my dad today uh about him because uh I say at that time my dad was Oliver the Ox and I was very much involved in in the backroom sort of area of, of Oxford United I used to go with my dad and whatever and I'd meet Jim Smith on, on numerous occasions and just how much of a nice bloke he was just on a human level how he would take time to speak to myself and also my dad um, and I think that is sort of testimony because also there are people in football who do have a reputation for being a bit distant from you know from fans and other people who are not in their environment and Jim Smith yeah. certainly wasn't one of those people yeah that, um, that, that human side to him yeah ruin all the bits you either read about or, or see um, James how did you how did you feel how did you hear about it um I don't remember, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it was just one of them where news just started seeping through through various channels, various messages from various people. But um, yeah, it was a weird... I didn't really know how to feel, be it that I was born in 87 and Jim left the club in 85, you know, in terms of his most memorable spell with the club. So I actually ended up spending the whole of that night um, reading up on... I, I kind of was a bit annoyed at myself for not knowing more about Jim and I obviously I was around for his um, second and third spells the third being just coming back to take care take a charge but um, yeah reading back up on that the Ox blogger article I thought was absolutely fantastic yeah, um, really was. there was some yeah it really helped kind of the thing that kind of the things that brought a tear to my eyes there was two two things one was the Ox blogger article where you could it started to resonate with me, the impact that the that the man had. That first spell was only three years with the club. And for someone to have that much of an impact and for so, so many of those names, those players like Dave Langan, Ray Howen, John Aldridge, Trevor Hebbard, um, they wouldn't be those household names in you know Oxford United fans' houses if it wasn't for Jim Smith. And for someone to have a three-year spell, I think it's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and then the final thing, yeah, that BBC Oxford special, I know a few of us, have, have listened to that, but listening to Jerome breakdown and um, Rosie, um, you know, clearly upset. And Rosie was talking about how Jim's final few days, he was having to, he was in, I don't know where Jim was. I think he was in a home and Rosie was yeah. saying he was feed, feeding him 
ice cream and stuff and he was picking the ice cream over the red wine or something and that was a clear indication to him that something was clearly you know that he was on his on his last legs as, as it were so I think when you hear, it was it was horrible no, no I think when you hear players and Rosie talked about saying he changed my life and he made me what I am today and so many of the ex-players talked about as a manager he was second to none he wasn't this sort of old school type of manager he was he was human you had to relate to people got people fighting for him could you know give it an absolute rollicking in the old school kind of way but was you know it was all part of a rounded sort of piece and I bet that kind of mentioned that human side doesn't exist and and in some ways I think it is just amazing that he's he's still sung about by home fans as we all know to this day and we were all at MK yesterday and within minutes the tribute started and it was pretty emotional and the and the applause was fantastic Ben it was it was pretty it pre- pretty emotional yesterday wasn't it yeah, that uh, the first singing of the Jim Smith song, I was welling up. Uh, it's sort of any any of those tributes you've just mentioned. I was at work listening again to that BBC Oxford piece. I had to pause it a few times. I was just welling up, sat at my desk. It's quite difficult to hear about how much of an impact a single man had on tens of thousands of lives. You know, everyone who's an Oxford fan before, during or after those times. It's uh, Yeah, it was tough to listen to, but I thought the tributes were... What, what what he deserved um, at the game yesterday, I think you know the the men came joined, joined uh, their fans joined in the applause as well. Um, I think everyone around the football world, several people came up to me during the week who aren't you know Liverpool, Leeds, Everton fans, and they just said what a great guy Jim Smith was, and I think that's a testament to the man. Yeah, it's important as you say to actually talk about what he did achieve, and I mean if you if you go back to a bit of scene setting, so in the late seventies we really weren't doing very well at all and we're heading back to the old fourth division and I guess later in life we we ended up there. But um, Ian Greaves, the manager before him, had massively stabilised things, but we were still under threat of bankruptcy and then Robert Maxwell joined shortly after Jim Smith around and things kind of went from there and he went on and we went on an astonishing rise, beating all all sort of top teams that nowadays you just wouldn't, that just wouldn't happen. Two successive titles, cups, the players that James mentioned come, you know, countless others you could list 10, 15, 20. And then later in the period, we're probably a bit more familiar with, he, he came again to try and give us some direction. And I remember we were just floundering as, as a club and all right, we, we did end up getting relegated. But I remember feeling confident straight away as soon as I heard the news that he was he was coming back and we would we, we have a sense of direction going forward. And yeah. we kind of hit the ground running and that, that in that first season, Jack, do you recall much of that first season back in the conference? Yeah, I mean, to, uh, just to echo all your thoughts first, um, very sad to hear it. And obviously, I'm based in Derby, so I've had the, the Radio Oxford special, the Radio Derby special. Um, all the papers down here have had special pull-out, souvenir-type memories of Jim Smith kind of thing. So it's not just Oxford, it's right across you know the country and the football world, really. Um but yeah, the conference days, I think, didn't we go unbeaten the first 19 games or so? Um, yeah. Then we did a kind of mini collapse, but still kind of almost got there. But I think the fact was that he chose to stay for the conference. He'd had all these glory years at many clubs, you know, with big name players, big results, big days out. Yet he was quite happy to take us to Ebbsfleet, Histon, 
God knows where else. And he, he, it was for his love of the club and for love of football. And that's just a true mark of the man. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking right at the uh, Return of the King DVD, which marked his return against Peterborough. Still in, still in the league. And I think you make a great point, Jack, that many, we were in shock going into the conference. I mean, real, real shock. And he just stabilised and... Yeah, you know, over time it, it sort of went a different way, but ultimately he set the set the base for um, Chris Wilder to to join, and Chris Wilder played a very good tribute to him as well this week. And it was one of those the footballing world, whoever you were, really commemorated him. And Kr did did his bit as well, and he talked about how he's made a montage for the players to understand who he was, because I think often we assume players on the pitch understand as much as we all do about certain things, and. You can't expect them to, really. You can't expect them to necessarily know how much and how important Jim Smith was. And, you know, you'd hope that that was, was hammered in, how much more was going on around the club at, at that time. But I think we could talk for, for for hours about the impact and how and how sad it is. But I think I, I think we'd all echo just, you know, listen to that Oxford special, read the Oxblogger piece. Chris Williams has done some fantastic stuff as well. Um, and I'm sure at the next home game... I think there's already some some plan, plan, celebrations planned, and I think some of the players are chipping in to support that. I think John Massino has led the way on that, which is brilliant as well. So, yeah, I could go round and round in circles. I think really, but yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks for that, John. I think um, I'm going to play the news music to try and get a bit of a split, rather than just going on to something far more insignificant without any form of jingle in between. So let's go for that. John, can you put on your best Trevor McDonald voice, if that's possible? <laughs> He's the one news presenter I can't impersonate. Just, it's just, you know, I've spent hours trying before these pods. That's the, all, all I do, really. He's the only one. <clears throat> can you well, not that... go for like a Claire Balding now? <laughs> True. I'm setting myself up I for want, a fall here, aren't I? I want Claire. <laughs> yeah, I all want right. Claire. I'll, I'll do Claire next week, I, I promise. <laughs> oh. And you can't see what I'm doing. You know, dangerous, dangerous territory. Um, well, the news, I mean, where do you go? I mean, that was the thing that dominated the week and, and naturally thoughts. I think it's a few things within the squad that we can touch on. There was an interesting um, bit of backward forth around Mackie and Musinia with KR and KR talking about how they were pushing for another year. And I suppose that was one, particularly with Musinio, really showing his worth in some of his post-match interviews, what people thought about Massinho and Mackie, are they worth another year? Um, James, what do you reckon? I I think we were talking about this in the car on the way back um, from MK, but I, I think Moose has absolutely warranted another year. I think he's, what, 33 now? And we know he's looking at that coaching and Well, he's looking at the coaching role longer term. Um, but I, again, I think he's, he's at least a squad player going into next season, isn't he? You know, he's, he's had such a great, um, first half of the year and I don't think any of us would have predicted he would be back in at centre-back and playing how he is um, so I think absolutely him I think Mackie is a different story uh, we we obviously it may be a pay-as-you-play deal um, who knows that's my view anyway maybe some Connor what do you reckon about Mackie 
I'm kind of on the same page with you, mate. I'm. Uh, I think Mackie's influence on the squad is clearly, and I'm, we're going to talk about this a bit later on with the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with the uh, BT Sport mic'd up series. But <clears throat> clearly, Mackie's influence on the squad is huge. Um, but in terms of playing and perhaps the impact he has on the pitch, um, it might be questionable, uh, particularly in another year's time. But you know, it's not it's not for for me to hand out that contract. So <laughs> I think it's obviously down to down to the uh, people behind the scenes and what they and what they what they generally view his role going forward would be. And like you said, I think if his role was on a sort of play to play basis, then you know maybe that could be a way forward. But for Mackie himself, that might not suit him. He, se- yeah. he seems the sort of person who can who will approach a club and say, "This is what I want, and this is what I can offer," and will work something around that. So I think if he didn't stay with us, he'd, he'd find another club and work into that team how, how he best wanted to. I mean, you never know what he's on. He, he could be on a, a decent whack, and it's just probably not one that is worth taking the further hit on. Um, I think moving further around the squad, it was good to see Napper um, stepping up his his recovery. He's one we haven't really talked about. For a while, Hansen not much of an update, and I think as we'll get on to MK, it's good to see um, at least two out of three of our key injuries slightly more progressed. Um, but I think the, the BT Sport mic's up is a, a good one to um, to talk about. I haven't yet seen it yet, so did you say Jack? You just finished? You'd finished watching it? Give us some of the uh, <laughs> the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, <laughs> um, cringe cool. moments. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting piece actually because. Although there's the kind of comic moments running throughout it and you see the kind of clown that Mackie is and all the jokes that goes on, it actually demonstrates as a club how far we've progressed in a year, three years, five years. That training ground is amazing. Some of the technology they've got, the amount of space they've got, um, how KR and staff bring everyone together. So you've got the whole thing that every player comes in in the morning, whether they be first team or youth team, they shake all the staff members' hands. You've obviously got Nico Jones' trivia section. Um, it just what was the tri- really what good was the trivia? Um, it was like Iceland. Oh yeah, it has no rail has no railway. Yeah, um, but it just shows <laughs> yeah. that the the whole place looks a good place to be, and the players are clearly loving. Well, and it's essentially their job, isn't it? But it must feel more, more and more like a, just a really good place to want to come to work every day. And were there any yeah. painfully cringe moments? Uh, Mackie was calling um, KR a fat Gareth Southgate, but like, you couldn't really hear. It was to his face. It was to his face, but you couldn't really hear what what the lead up was to that being chucked at him. And you always wonder with the mics on. You know, KR knows he's got the mic on. There was one moment where he was kind of spread, like sat really majestically by a window, talking to um, Amy Cranston about injuries and stuff and you're like would you be sitting like that if the camera wasn't there it was like little things like that but it, i was mega impressed with his training and how on it he was and he was you know sending people for laps and that type of thing sorry Connor. <laughs> no 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 it's all right no i noticed that that lap thing as well uh one thing i wanted to quickly add to it was um just beyond the actual um program that was aired on bt sport jake humphrey who obviously the guy who who hosts it he posted a, an extra snippet on on twitter about carl robinson where he talks about mental health and how he found that so important um sort of to to 
make sure the the young players etc have someone to speak to and that you know they encourage the discussion of any issues that young uh players have and also some of the more senior yeah. players as well and i thought that extra snippet was just sort of testament to the kind of guy that we have in charge of our football club at the moment and i know many people including myself has have criticized him in whatever ways because of what has gone on on the pitch but perhaps as a human being i think we've we're in pretty safe hands i think with someone like carl robinson in charge and i thought it was a really good extra sort of snippet to post on twitter and it got a lot of traction mm. from not just from oxford fans and I, I thought it was it was really good and overall the program itself was was great it was a good insight into the club and how things are how things are being run at the moment and like you say it's it's looking healthy the the only other things ben you watched it as well actually yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Did you notice the PowerPoint presentation? C- given that this was all in prep for the Hayes and Yedding game, um, and limited footage was there, I, do you remember the bit where he was in the dark room talking to the players? Yeah. It, I just when I watched that, I thought the lighting's a bit odd. It's like there's some top secret information <laughs> on the uh, on the PowerPoint. You know, it's going to tell everyone how Ye- Hayes and Yedding play. But it's just almost like they're in a in a lecture or you couldn't see the players' faces because they were laughing or they were asleep or something. I thought that was a bit... Uh, uh, yeah, would you do that with without the cameras? I'm sure you'd do a PowerPoint presentation, but maybe not quite in that form. Um, I, I'll just echo what Connor says about... As a football fan, sometimes you just sort of focus about two hours on a, on a Saturday afternoon about the players or you see, oh, he didn't have a great game. I certainly forget, you know, the day-to-day, you don't think about what actually goes into building a football club and trying to change it into the, the design that you want to. And yeah, I think I think KR comes out of that looking fantastic. He, his man management is clearly brilliant. The players clearly want to play for him. Um, and I think actually we're, we're building something quite strong now as a football club that we haven't seen for, for a very long time. Yeah. They were all the final thing I'll say, sorry, John, is like the footage. They were looking at drone footage from one of the matches they were playing. Uh like the 11-on-11 11 11 game that they had at the end of the training session. They even had one of the teams in playing in white, which is what we were going to play in on the day, and the other team playing in red, which is what Hayes and Yedding played in. So little attention to de- little attentions to details like that was impressive. And um, I was just well impressed with the fact that he could, the KR could present like how he was presenting in that you know the dark ominous room that we referred to like the some of the content there and how he was passionately talking about stuff he was properly leading that group of men and that is a challenging thing in itself and we've never really had any exposure to what what he's actually like behind the scenes so i thought it was fantastic no i think the other thing about it as a as a whole entity is it helps to sell the club to whoever you're thinking about um New yeah. new players or, or God, you know, new managers and and potential commercial sponsors, um, whoever. And I, I think the only downside for not doing it would have been what on earth is Mackie going to do during it? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you know, I think there was didn't fat Gareth Southgate. I mean, I'm sure Mackie said worse things to Gareth. So um, there we are. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just think that's the news for this week. Right, on to MK Dons. So, a car with four of us in. Connor, you were the only odd one out, even though you were in Oxford, actually. Were you in Oxford? Uh, well, you in Oxford? No, no, no. I was uh, I was travelling back. Uh, so, just before kick-off, I was on the plane flying from uh, Belfast to Birmingham, and I, and I landed, and obviously it was sort of 
just the beginning of well, just after the beginning of the second half. So I managed to catch a bit of it on the radio um, while I was travelling from Birmingham to Oxford. But I'm back in Oxford now, and I'm looking forward to plenty of games over the Christmas period. <laughs> nice, nice. So it was a what was it, two and a half, three hour drive for us picking up Jack and some Bleak. horrible power plant. Power station, train station, whatever. What was it? East Midlands Parkway. I would not recommend it to anyone. I think it was East, East, East Midlands Chernobyl, we called it. That's right, yeah. Anyway, going, going into the game, uh, MK Dons on a 12-game winless run, which was stretching to 91 days. Oxford, obviously, on an 11-game undefeated run in League One, 19 in all competitions, if you take out that penalty defeat in the... Schlong Cup, let's call it. Uh, <laughs> I've run out of names. Trevor Kettle was in charge. Last ref us away at Fleetwood, which me and John were at. Has a bit of a reputation, just Trevor, other than his lack of a neck and his long arms. <laughs> this game was really set up for us to lose, wasn't it? With those three absolutely. last you just said. Absolutely, it was just, yeah. It was just set in stone. <laughs> Anyway, we, we arrived to find that um, we actually went to this. What was the restaurant called in the stadium? Marco something. Some, some Marco Pierre Wise. Yeah, Mar- yeah. Marco Pierre. So we kind of thought we we were kind of literally walked into the ground. We like stood the other side of some glass that was facing onto the pitch as if we were in a box. And we're like, this can't be right. And then we ended up going into this posh restaurant. And then they were like, we're like, can we have a beer, please? And it was all nice. It worked out very well. I'd recommend it for anyone going next time. Um, anyway, we we came into the stadium to realise that there was a segregation for away fans, um, which was just ridiculous. Given that we've been we played them four times previous, I think, and each time brought between three and four to four and a half thousand fans. Um, so I don't know why they weren't prepared on a three pm Saturday afternoon kickoff not to just hand up like hat give us behind the goal ultimately so we ended up taking just under 3,000 but it was a complete mess wasn't it I guess Ben what do you reckon it was a farce I've, I've never seen anything like that and as you pointed out you stood next to me it was causing more problems because people were yeah. just trying to get as close to behind the goal as possible so in the sort of last 10 seats of either side of the segregation you had about two or three deep people on the stairs stewards were getting involved trying to get people moving and uh, it was. I'm surprised it didn't kick off a bit more than it did, but it was absolutely ridiculous. And I'd like to know. I wonder if the club are going to ask the question as to why they did that because you can't, it's not safe. No, it was kicking off like you said for the first. Like you could still hear it 15, 20 minutes into the game that the fans on the other side, so the left hand side behind, if you were looking at the goal. Um, you could hear them just getting riled up. I thought at some point they were just going to pile through and try and just make their way over to us. But The only positive anyway. was it did allow for the left side, right side London Road chant to attempt to work across a bay of seats. But the problem was <laughs> they were so far away, they couldn't hear us singing <laughs> we're on the left side. But that was probably the only silver lining in what was just an absolute shambles. If that had worked, it would have been fantastic. Yeah. It was a shame. Anyway, into the lineup. So Brannigan um, starting was just a, a very nice surprise. I think we predicted everything apart from we thought Henry would be the one that came back into contention, um, given previous interviews with KR and Oxford Mail articles and what have you. 
the Brannigan um, surprise start into the lineup. And I think, Jack, we were all pretty positive then looking at the team sheet. Hall was still right wing, Sykes into midfield, but we were all pretty positive with Gorin also back from suspension. Yeah, that that really uh, made us think it was going to be a lot more straightforward than perhaps it turned out to be. But yeah, it's KR playing his um, cards close to his chest again in his interviews because it did seem like Brannigan was the furthest one away from being fit, but... Fair plays back, and he looked like he wasn't suffering any side effects. So that's at least good. Yeah. So from the kickoff, uh, as John mentioned earlier, there was a great rendition of Yellow Submarine, and you can hear it when you listen back to the highlights. Uh, so that was that was fantastic, and again, it kind of sent shivers down your spine as that was going on. Uh, it was a shame, I think it's worth saying now that. I guess I felt like if the performance, and we obviously can talk about it now, had have been better, then there would have been a better kind of atmosphere to drive off. Um, but it just didn't feel like it was the case. But uh, we had some objectives that on in the drive home. And I don't, I, it's a difficult one, this, because I think people listening might be like, you bastards, you're going in way too hard on the team. But if we see ourselves as like really shit pundits, then I think we have a bit of wiggle room with um with this but lethargic was a word flat-footed jack i definitely remember you calling yeah. that out and i absolutely agreed disinterested um was another one uh, was some of the words we were kind of using as we were talking about the team especially in that first half but jack i remember you were next to me and you were just saying you were point you you were pointing everywhere just going what's going on with the shape of the team it seems a bit off yeah it i thought about this today and it it feels like we'd made a little tactical tweak that just didn't work. So Ruffles appeared to be playing more as a wing-back, but not in an attacking sense. You had Hall, Fozu and Taylor kind of wandering about, not really staying in position. Um, and Sykes and Brannigan just... Normally, Cameron Brannigan kind of sits and dictates the play, but he tried to be everywhere and... yeah then kind of got in the way of other people. So it just felt the four, one, three, whatever it is that we're supposed to be playing, just kind of merged into the back four with everyone else going where they wanted to. Um, I think as well, Moose said in, said on the radio that their shape means that their forwards play quite wide. So him and Rob Dickey were having to kind of spread apart with Alex Gorin yeah. dropping between them, um, which I think he probably did quite well, but I think that upset our shape going further forward. Yeah. And Ben, body language was another thing we kept talking about when we're in the stands. Yeah, they just seemed like it was a training game or a pre-season friendly. There was just no energy, no drive. They'd have the ball in the centre circle and somebody would be stood 10, 15 yards off. Stood still. No, not trying to close down the ball. The heads would drop. We might touch on it later on, but you kept uh, pointing out that Fosu just wasn't looking looking for the ball, even in a goal kick, he's just facing, he's looking in the stand or something. I don't know if, if we'd have scored in the first minute and they'd played the same, whether we'd have picked it up so much, but it just seemed like they didn't attack them. They thought MK Dons would, would be easier to break down or they wouldn't yeah. press as high. It was, it was bizarre. It was interesting because they played with a really, really high press and it was causing us problems from the off and just stopping us from playing any form of football. Um, John, that was the case at Shrewsbury last weekend. And it, do, you, do you think they watched a video of that or 
had a scout at that game who just basically said just get stuck into him and they won't be able to play around you. I think they they must have yeah certainly done their done their homework beforehand. It, it just left us and if you tie in the challenges we were having with the shape, I mean the front three bar Matty Taylor were sort of didn't know quite what they were doing. We, we were constantly with our back to to goal but with nobody running off. So therefore it's, it just felt we were very disjointed up the top of the pitch. I think the defence and Gorion looked as solid and strong as it as it always does, but Brannigan and Foster and Hall kind of being a bit sort of all over the place at times just, just didn't help. Yeah. And if we want to be promotion candidates this year, and I know we were saying this in the car um, on the way back, we need to be taking the game to teams from the off, especially, you know, when I was reeling off those stats coming into the game, you know, what they hadn't won in... 91 days or whatever it was you've got to you we've got to go for the throat from the off you'd you'd think um or at least show that enthusiasm that you are there to cause them problems from the off they were playing um, and we were letting them they were playing quite neat and tidy football clearly responding to how they were being coached and we should have been well we're not going to let them settle and play this new style of football we should have just been at them but we were so far away from each other all the time that they ended up being able to, to do that and just sort of grew into it. And yeah. the outball just wasn't wasn't there or they just were all over Fossey that we'll, you know, we talk about. Slow tempo, no urgency mm. was was the, our main kind of summary of that first half. But another thing we noticed, Jack, you know, we Fossu kind of dropped into more of a central role with Rob Hall also seemingly kind of playing it right back at times. Will we ever see Rob kind of playing as an out-and-out winger taking people on is it harsh to call him out separately we've kind of already mentioned Fossu but what do you reckon I think with, with Robbie Hall he's had two three bad injuries so that's always given him the benefit of the doubt but he has now been well he's been involved in pretty much every league match day squad this season so he should now be in the place where he can play from the start and be effective but I don't know whether he's still a bit tentative in you know, putting his body on the line or whether he's just had that much, much surgery that his pace has been impacted. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not the player that when he gets the ball, he used to excite me. What's he going to do? Is he going to beat the man? Yeah. Now I'm almost hoping he doesn't get the ball because he just seems concerned about what he's going to do with it rather than, you know, taking someone on and taking the game to the opposition. Yeah. And we were saying um, between him and Sykes going into the game, Given and we we said this on the pod last week, I think, but given the injuries that we've got at the moment and the people that are gradually going to start coming back into contention for a start, you know, James Henry will be back. We've got Baptiste coming back and so on. Um, Sykes and Hall, this was a massive game you felt, and Sykes with that kind of more advanced central midfield role. Connor, I know you're a big fan of Mr. Sykes and you're keen to see him notch a goal. I think all of us going into the game wanted to see him turning, getting his head up, and driving forward, but. We didn't see too much of that. Yeah, <clears throat> the highlights didn't either shine much light on him. Um, not just him in particular, the whole the whole squad. Um, yeah. yeah, my dad was there and he was echoing very similar thoughts to you guys as well uh, when he came home on Saturday evening. So, yeah, it's just one of those things. I think I, I completely agree with what you said earlier about how if we are going to be genuine um promotion contenders that we need to we need to take the game to the throats of opposition um i think we shouldn't be too quick to 
to perhaps jump, you know, jump on the, jump on the players because you know this is mm. the the performance against Shrewsbury was perhaps not up to scratch, but then when you're up against very good opposition, um, and then perhaps you know on Saturday lesser opposition and you know we know how it went. I think the test the test really is Wickham going forward. I think if we perform poorly against Wickham and we get turned over, then we kind of certainly have a, a leg to stand on to start. You know, maybe perhaps pointing some fingers at certain individuals if they're not pulling their weight. Um, but I think it's a big game against Wickham, and um, I think you know that'll be that'll kind of be the tester to see whether or not this is just a yeah. you know just a little little dip in form and we'll pick it back up again, or whether it might be a little bit more serious than we first thought. And that was the preview section for Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. There's more coming. There's more coming. Yeah, I hope that we're being objective with the way we're talking about this and anyone that was there can kind of resonate to the points that we're making. But yeah, I am very conscious of, you know, in the context of the last 10 games or whatever, this, you know, this this does stand out as kind of a a one-off, even looking at Shrewsbury last week. But the, the consistency with Shrewsbury to this game was the um, first half performance, like at both, you know, we deserved to go in we went in nil-nil both times, but deserved to go in losing, I felt. Um, does anyone actually remember a chance in the first half? John, do you recall a chance that was worth calling out? No. It was, I haven't watched the highlights, but... No, I mean, there was a moment where Cadden... We did sort of got going and Cadden got in down the right, but just miss, miss it across. I don't really recall too much. That was it. second half. No, it was it was, it was was a spell in the first half that we did, we did string a few passes together. Um, Cadden got oh, okay. in loads on the right-hand side, but... No, there was nothing sort of clear cut, and and they certainly, well, absolutely had the had the better of it. I mean, the other thing is we know we've got injuries in the squad, and it's a case of what's players' fitness like at at the moment. Generally, they're getting a bit knackered. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be generally, but it's a bit. It was a, certainly a lethargic feel to a, to a couple of them. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. It's got to look got to look across a series of yeah. games. So second half. Um... Again, first 10, 15 minutes of the half, we were dwindling around. It didn't seem that we'd had a kick up the arse. Uh, Cadden did have a... This is why I thought you were talking about it. Cadden broke down after a decent one-two, broke down the right and had a really good opportunity to send something across, maybe a low ball, and Matty Taylor was unmarked at the far post, but didn't get it across, just kind of sliced it and it went out of play. But you can see how pissed off he was with himself at the time. Uh MK then score on 60 minutes, decent kind of a bit of a bobbling ball in the box, decent rising finish into the near post. I think, Jack, you were saying maybe Archer shouldn't get beaten his near post. Think that's a bit, do you think that's a bit harsh? Yeah, I, at, at the time, I didn't realise the uh, bloke had leathered it uh, quite as hard as he did. So it, it, flip it the other way, if he'd have saved yeah. it, it would have been save of the season. So yeah, um, I was very harsh <laughs> and frustrated at the time. I See, think. I remember everything. <laughs> Um, but yeah our temp that goal goes in and it was like black and white suddenly our tempo improves dramatically and it's that classic kind of thing isn't it why why do we wait until we're behind to suddenly you know switch on the engine it was really really frustrating and suddenly Cadden was getting in every two three minutes down the right hand side and we were we were getting into really good positions but again just not finding that kind of cutting edge um I think Ben, that's that's the way that kind of half went. It was either Cadden down the right or maybe Fosu down the left or with Ruffles on the overlap. We kept on getting into really good positions, even shooting positions. 
Um, but we were looking for that pass every time. We just didn't ever find a man. Yeah, uh, there's some great one-twos on the right-hand side with Cadden and, and Taylor dropping in or whoever coming in just to lay it off. And he was always, with that ball, he'd always find that extra half a yard of space. And you're either looking for that ball, it was either you know, cleared with, a, with the first defender header or they just got so many bodies back. It was just a case of they'll just throw some limbs at it and clear it away. But yeah, it just seemed that we were always just that half a second behind on getting a shot away or getting a cross in and, or just making the wrong decision at the wrong time. And they always managed to scramble a few defenders back to uh, to block the shot. I'm thinking particularly Baptiste's shot from the edge of the box. You know, that's, that's yeah. half a yard the other side of that defender. That's, that's definitely going in the bottom corner. I did find it really frustrating watching the highlights back. Um, so I didn't see the extended highlights, but I was watching the kind of, you know, the full um, I follow broadcast highlights because I was determined to find the clip that I just kept on going on about where Fosu kind of broke into the box, took it around a defender. Defender kind of caught, he did look to kind of pull out a bit, but did catch Fosu as he's running past him. And Fosu didn't go down. And I know the bloke called Paul, who called up Radio Oxford afterwards, noticed this as well. But big Trevor put his whistle in his mouth um, as Fosu was stumbling. So he was about to go down, but he stayed on his feet. And then as soon as he stayed on his feet, Trevor Kettle took the whistle out of his mouth. So it was as if he'd fallen over, he was going to give it. But I, I don't think it was a pen. I looked back and I was like, actually, do you know what? It doesn't. It looks really soft. I don't know if anyone else has seen that or whether it was in the highlights or anything. But you told I, I me saw that it in the highlights. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go on, mate. No, I was say. James, you told me that about five times in quick succession. Obviously, <laughs> you stood next to me. And I was like, I, I know, James. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, it's one of those where you think, like, if Fosu goes down, yeah, perhaps he was about to give a penalty. But then the way Fosu stayed in his feet was kind of how we all want people to stay on their feet. Um, but it might have been a soft, it would have been a soft, definitely a soft penalty and, you know, verging on not a, not a dive, but it would have been very soft. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one because Fozzy is often the player that does hit the deck with any kind of touch. So the fact that he did stay up was the most miraculous thing about it to me because you could see him actively stumbling. Um, I yeah, I I think he I think he'd have given it if he hit the deck. I don't think it was a pen, but I think he'd have given it. Yeah. Um, but generally, yeah, skipping through bits of the game, looking at the kind of broadcast highlights. He, um, we did just, we were just pelting them. Like the, we were absolutely chucking everyone forward where balls were flying in the box. We were really unlucky actually looking back that one of those bobbly balls that was just sliced by a defender didn't just land at one of our players' feet. And it happened like four or five times where they just got the lucky bounce. So in hindsight, um, whilst I was still enraged as I was watching the game, um, it was one of those where everything, all of our fans were so tense in the stands because Trevor Kettle was just being a complete cretin. And the team, the team you know, Mackie, Mackie was riling up the players. Their, their keeper was wasting time. Kettle wasn't handling that well. Um, it was just really, really frustrating. You were just looking for that goal just to release all that horrible kind of tension. But it just, it just never came. But... Subs that came on, so Mackie came on for Hall. We talked a bit about Robbie Hall. Mackie just was sh- there shouting at everyone, which was it was good to see a bit of that. We did mention that actually at the time. I think John was it yourself. I was talking to like we do have a lot of leaders in the team. Maybe first half you could have seen a little bit more of that that leadership from Moose or whoever to be 
kind of egging the team on a bit. It was the body language thing. You just like to see the leaders in the team kind of trying to, you know, clapping their hands, shouting at each other. Am I looking too much into that? But I just didn't see it. No, I, I, it, it, you make a point. And the thing that struck me was Mackie didn't do anything per se when he came on, but he got into a massive row with the keeper and the referee not long after he'd come on and just seemed to start to do that kind of like, let's get everybody riled up. And it was one of us catalyst but that seemed to get us going again and it made me just needed yeah. somebody to sort of not clatter of someone that isn't always the answer but just sort of try and have that moment to, to spark us into life yeah baptiste came on for sykes um maybe with 15 20 minutes left i'm not sure but he he looked pretty composed on the ball jack had, he had a solid game when he came on i guess he seemed to have the ball quite a lot a couple of dodgy passes and a dodgy turn when he was the last man but otherwise he was he was quite influential on that last 10 15 minutes i thought yeah um i think the, the thing with the subs is you know what you're going to get from Mackey, um and you know what you're going to get from baptiste um but it just felt a little bit that KR looked at his bench and went, blimey, I've only got those two, and then I probably need to throw someone else on. Oh, it's going to have to be uh, Daniel Adji. And it, it didn't really feel that yeah. the subs were made of any kind of plan. It was just, oh, I should get these two on the pitch, I'll get this lad on the pitch and hope that it changes something. Um, and like like you say, we did create a lot of kind of scuffles in the box and what you know on another day one of those flies in and to be honest if we'd have scored I think we'd have gone on to win but yeah we I don't know I'm still not quite sure what the game plan was yesterday and I think bringing the subs on didn't make an obvious change to a game plan it just I don't know it was a very strange day really yeah yeah Ben do you reckon it was the right result uh, I think I think a draw might have been fair. So the first half they absolutely should have gone gone in ahead. They were much the better side, as we've just discussed. Second half, once they scored, I think we were a bit better. I think we were driving much much more on the pitch, right tempo, right attitude. We were pumped up for it. I, I think a, a one all would have been fair, but you know, you can't really argue with the result ultimately. No, I'm in the same place. I think a draw would have been fair, but I think our the first half was just I, I double checked to see how the media reacted well the local media reacted to it and the Oxford Mail's description was that was a dreadful half and so I felt a bit better. Um John, are you in the same same place? The stuff that Connor was talking about earlier, looking at Shrewsbury and considering Wickham, you are you concerned or do you think it's just a blip? Uh, I'm not concerned because after any unbeaten run, whether it's five games or as long as ours was there comes a point where you have to lose or you have to have some bad performances. I think it's just when there's certain signs or characteristics or things such as the effort or the, the body language, you get a little bit worried about it. Um, and it's just how we're responding to these teams that have a plan just to swarm us and get all over us. And I think that's that's still an issue that perhaps needs to be sorted out. But I don't think you can get too concerned off the back of you know, a point and a loss, first loss and however many games. So it's, I think the Wickham thing is is key and we'll probably raise our game against a team that will be a bit more play in their own way, potentially. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm not overly overly worried about it. KR, in the reaction afterwards, um, seemed to piss off the local MK media, um, given his past with the club as well. So he said, um, 
he was saying, look at the players that we've got out injured. These, and when he says these, he means Milton Keynes, have cried for three months having three players out. A lot of teams do, but we've got on with it. I'd say talking about it like that isn't getting on with it, to be honest. But um, yeah, he he did rile up their local media, as I saw afterwards, and there was a lot of reaction from their side. I say a lot. There was reaction. Um, they, they did play well. Like, I mean, not sort of top performance and we just couldn't didn't have an answer we i think we were our own downfall and to a degree but they they had a, a plan and a system and played it pretty well none of their players they all had a good performance there was none of them that i really thought oh god he's a bit yeah he's a bit off yeah. so i think you know, do get a bit of credit he said um they will probably be singing from the rooftops and think they were good today they weren't that good one shot on target probably for both teams and that went in it's just a little bit, it, it kind of hurt me a little bit with him coming out with that because I was like, oh, I think they kind of edged it, if anything, and they had a solid performance and it just is a bit petty. Am I am I, the, <laughs> am I the only one thinking that? If you contrast it to how Messina handled it in another stellar media performance by yeah. him who just, as usual, laid out some of the challenges like not quite handling their shape and not quite being our day. Yeah. And even Messina said... Why did it take us until they scored to, to click on? So, um, but I think he that did styles as well as, as well. So. He did say um, in the Radio Oxford interview after the game as well, Kr, that he felt that the effort was there for all to see, or he couldn't, you know, you couldn't say that the players' effort wasn't there. But I, that did Ben Jack was that that was a thing, wasn't it? And we were kind of going, hmm. That first half, it didn't seem like that. Yeah, he. Uh... When he said you can't question their effort, I said you can, uh, and we we were during the game. You know whether he, whether he means you know they wanted to win the game. I'm sure they did. You know I certainly wouldn't question that. But just in the body language and from what you could see from the stands, it certainly looked like they weren't giving it a hundred percent. That's for sure because they weren't closing down. And I've seen games this season where we've been much better, much more positive in a game. So I can see why you know he's not. He he may. You'd like to think with those managers that. He spotted that yeah. there wasn't great effort there, and he would have said that to them in private in the dressing room. And then your public, your public face is completely different. You know, that's the, the great managers, the Fergusons, the Mourinho's. You know, they try and yeah. distract from their players in the public media, but you know, behind the scenes, they'd have given them the right good rollicking if needed. Yeah, that's it. Um, anyway, I feel really down now. I apologise to anyone that listens to this on their commute that's just going to go into... I, I suppose it's Christmas. People have probably got some time coming off. They can probably handle it. It'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, scores across League One were generally all right, so let's move on to that. Wow. Someone just slammed a door. So say someone's, someone's leg has gone, have they? <laughs> um... So, leave so, one round up. Someone's had enough of James's <laughs> chat. I'm legging it. Um, just before I go into so what's going on? Just uh, before I go into yesterday's scores, a couple of bits of news from across the league uh, during the week. Uh, Sunderland have told Aidan McGeady that he can go in January. Um, wow! He only signed a new deal in the summer. Scored five goals this year, but uh, Phil Parkinson has told him he can go and won't be involved until he does leave the club. Um, that's interesting uh, though I didn't know that and Parkinson's gonna he can't be having long left can he I saw someone say uh, a Sunderland post said please name your best 11 or name your team in the match and they just repeated with 11 
Parkinson out hashtags <laughs> against each player. Yeah, I think yeah. he's under pressure to say the least. Um, I heard that um, then... Carl Robinson's looking for a PC winger, isn't he? Adam McGeady On ten, 10 grand a week or something. <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm joking. <laughs> um, then at the other end of the table, just something that caught my eye, Southend's uh, Harry Lennon has had to make an official apology because he was pictured in full club tracksuit out in pubs with Dover players after Southend lost at Dover in the FA Cup. Um, hasn't played since and the fans are generally very angry. So he's been forced to make an official apology. Um, wow. Moving on to yesterday's results, kind of roughly going bottom up, but quite a few of the bottom sides played teams in and around us. So Bolton lost uh, at Peterborough, who keep winning. And Ivan Tone is now on to 14 for the season. I think we were saying yesterday that between him and Moisa, they've got 25, 26 goals um, already, which is quite impressive. Yeah. And actually, Darren Ferguson's the next one on BT Sports Mic'd Up series. So that might be quite a good uh, one to watch and kind of contrast his style of KRs. Um, Southend did us a favour, actually, and drew 2-2 with Rotherham. Um, they went one down, then 2-1 up, and then threw it away. Um, Sol Campbell's still yet to win a league game in charge. So the greatest-minded football uh, is struggling a little bit. Um <laughs> We're not anti-Campbell, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> evidently. Um, kind of sides in and amongst the scrap. Tranmere lost again at Lincoln. He was seemed to be picking up a little bit now under Map. Uh, AFC Wimbledon had a good win, beating Doncaster at home. Uh, Accrington put four past Pompey, and again that was quite entertaining to see the Pompey meltdown. Um, Shrewsbury beat Coventry with a stoppage time winner. Sunderland drew to add pressure on Parkinson. Fleetwood also drew. So actually, up the top, Bristol Rovers capitalised on the majority of the other playoff contenders not winning. They won 2-1 at Ipswich and they're up to fourth. Um, I'll touch on them in a little minute because there's quite big news coming out of there. Um, and then next week's opponents, Wickham won again. And then the seven points clear. And generally, no one knows how they're doing it, but they are. Um so all that means we're now eighth, one point off the playoffs, but we do have a game in hand. Um, although Fleetwood, who are below us, have a game in hand on us. And I always do this, but I always look at 12th, and we're still only three points above 12th. So it's it's yeah. a very tight league. But um, the big news, arguably, is that uh, Bristol Rovers manager Graham Coughlin looks like he's going. Um, Mansfield sacks John Dempster last night, and the Bristol Post is reporting that... Uh, They've approached Bristol Rovers for Coughlin and he's likely to go. Um, seems a bit of a weird one, but having read a little bit, he's actually based or has family based in Sheffield and uh, he's currently living in a flat in Bristol and goes home every couple of weeks. Uh, add that to the fact he's had a disagreement about January transfer funds, then I suppose a move closer to home with money that Mansfield seems to chuck about every other season might be... Uh, the main reasons for him going. Mm. And then just looking at other fixtures next week, there's some big ones. Uh, so Bristol Rovers are at home to Peterborough, Portsmouth play Ipswich, Rotherham play Fleetwood, Blackpool play Shrewsbury. So the playoff picture could look very different again next week. And I mean, that just highlights how big the Wickham game is for us. Absolutely. It is a show when you, it's easy to do it, but when you look at Shrewsbury and MK and you think one point from those games and where we would have been, 
with a couple of wins there. But I, yeah, we we had to lose and have some poor performances at some point. But I'm all, I'm always one to do that when I'm looking at looking at the table. Um, the only other thing, Jack, was the form guide. So Wickham's last yes. five games, they um, so they played five, won five. They've scored seven goals, conceded none. Yeah, I was so. looking. It's the thing about Wickham is everyone knows the style that Ainsworth does. They're very hard to play against. They're very physical. They break the game up. They roll about on the floor. They waste time, but no one's been able to kind of get past it this year. Um, yeah. I, I still think, and I still maintain that when they lose one, they'll lose two or three and drop off top. Or maybe that's just me hoping that, but I, I, I do think they may crumble. Pompey did it last season, didn't they? Yeah, so, well, exactly. Yeah, it's pressure as well at the end of the day. That's it. Cool. Right, we need to pre- preview some games. Yeah, Man City and Wickham. Connor, we did two two huge games coming up, um, and obviously on Wednesday we we take our uh, Carabao Cup quarter final. That sounds. Sounds big time, doesn't it? Um, particularly when we mention our opposition, which is arguably one of the best teams in the world, Manchester City. Um, this game will be televised on Sky Sports for those of you who, who can't make it and who have access to Sky. Um, so you can sit and be warm while I'm going to be going to the game and be freezing my nuts off. But hopefully it will be worth it. <laughs> I'm not panking on that. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on Manchester City as I think we could all appreciate sort of the the size, the stature, you know, the the triumph of the club and, and the and the type of threat that they're gonna pose us on Wednesday. Um I did kind of want to touch on the draw itself because I know that a few people were slightly disappointed considering we played them uh last season in the same competition, slightly earlier on in the competition I may add. Um and it was also at the Kasama and obviously we lost three nil to to goals from Gabriel Jesus, um, Mares, and, and Foden, and I was definitely one of those who was a, you know, I was a little bit upset that that we drew Man City, but I have to say now I've got a ticket for Wednesday night. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it, um, and there really isn't too much to say about their their tactics or the quality of their side. Obviously, in the last round, uh, they pushed Southampton aside with a three-one victory. Uh, and that side included some players such as you know, Cla- Claudio Bravo in goal, Carl Walker, David Silva. I know David Silva's injured, so he won't be featuring uh, this time round. Phil Foden, Mares, and Aguero. Um, of course, they won today as well at the Emirates. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what side they do put out, um, and particularly with them, arguably... I'm going to say it with a pinch of salt. They might be out of the race for the Premier League title already. Um, I've kind of fallen off the pace. So Pep, clearly, and I'm sure people above Pep as well, is also, you know, they're hungry for some silverware. So uh, what side do you think they're going to field, guys? Do you think, you know, they're going to come in guns blazing? No, they're going to be shit and we're going to batter them. (laughs) I like Uh, like your optimism. who they've just played Arsenal this afternoon, haven't they? And they just yeah, tore them apart it. and just yeah. sweeped them to one side. And who was on the bench? I haven't got the team, but I think Mares was on the bench. And he was, yeah, 
it was, yeah. Uh, yeah Aguero's still injured, isn't he? So Yeah. So that'd be yeah, so Jesus had a decent game. Um Sterling obviously well Sterling and De Bruyne were, were two standout players today because I sat and watched it this afternoon. But I mean I'm not expecting to see De Bruyne start against us. I certainly hope he doesn't. <laughs> but I think I mentioned this earlier on in, in the group chat. Um I think Phil Foden will certainly play a big part in the game. Um, and their side, they did introduce some young players in their side against Southampton. Um, Garcia played at centre half with Otamendi, um, and they had quite, you know, Foden and Doyle played in midfield. So I do think they probably will give a little bit of light to some of the sort of fringe players against us on Wednesday. But I, you know, I struggle to see, I struggle to see a result on Wednesday. But stranger things have happened in football, and you know, we can we can only go into it hoping for a, at least a good performance from our boys. Um, especially as it's on TV. Um, yeah. Obviously, they and also, you know, Man City have had a little bit of a sort of slightly uncharacteristic run of form as well going into the game against us, other than, unfortunately, them just smashing Arsenal off the pitch earlier today. Because obviously, they, they, they lost to Liverpool, they lost to Manchester United recently, and they drew two all at Newcastle. Uh, and we beat Newcastle a few years ago, very convincingly. So, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, do you know? So really, do you know what the concern is? It's the it's it's the momentum from our side that's the thing that's yeah, put a bit of a downer on it all. Yeah, like, because we the, when the when yeah. the draw came out, we were flying right, and everyone was flying. Foss. It didn't matter who Fossu was playing; it was just kicking it from thirty yards, and it was flying in, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's that's the thing, and they're going to have Bravo, probably Zinchenko, Bernardo Silva will probably start, and Mares will probably start, and Garcia as well. They'll have. A decent team, but I still think their back line. If our if our forward line were completely on it, I yeah, still, I can, posing yeah, the threat. Who knows? Of course, exactly. It's one of those games that you really can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, I know you can't predict any game of football really, but it's it's just one of those. I'm I'm really looking forward to it on Wednesday. I think it'll be uh, a good spectacle, one way or another. I just hope we don't get battered. Um, and I'm I'm also feel, kind of feel a little bit sorry for Eastwood and the fact that he won't be back. Um, because you know, I'm sure a goalkeeper like him would relish playing up against some of the big boys. Because Eastwood's a you know a talented goalkeeper, he'd love that. But you know, it's going to fall onto the the gloves of of Archer. So we'll see how him and he's going to be certainly tested. So it'd be nice to see how he stands up. Um. Anyway, I think what what what's our predictions? Anyone going to be brave enough to to go for some realistic predictions or or what? James, I think we'll lose four nil. Okay. John? I'm going to go 3 1 loss. <laughs> yeah. Jack? Just to be, just to be clear. Uh, yeah, I think 4 or 5. I hope we, I think I think we will score, though, to so 5 1. Yeah. I'm going for 3 1 loss. I just hope we, I hope we net one. So it gives me something to, to shout about. Well, I'll be shouting anyway, but give me something to jump around about. Um, so that's. That's the Man City game out of the way, uh, and obviously on on Saturday we we host uh, Wickham Wanderers, who are the league leaders, and that does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? Saying that Wickham Wanderers are the league leaders, but yeah, <laughs> well, well it, it sounds weird to me anyway. Um, but Wickham have played twenty games so far; um, they've won twelve, drawing seven, and only losing once. Um, and they've they've had a very good but but an interesting run of form going into Saturday. So with their last six games, they've won five, drawn one, and and, and lost none. Uh, and they topped the form table going into the game against us. But what I found interesting was 
in these last six games, they've only scored seven goals, but they've conceded none. Um, and they do have a very similar goal difference to us overall. We have plus 17, they have plus 16. Um, and Wickham overall this season have only conceded 14 goals. And they've picked up some good wins against uh, Shrewsbury and Rotherham in those recent weeks. And are, I would argue pretty much undoubtedly the favourites going into the game against us on Saturday because they are in a very good vein of form. Um, obviously, under Garrett, Gareth Ainsworth, who is currently the, the longest-serving manager in English football, he's kind of got his side playing a very direct side of very direct style sorry, of football that really suits the players that he has at his disposal. Um, and I certainly won't brand Wickham as a long ball team, but they certainly know how to, to work the channels. Um, in terms of kind of the formations they deploy, um, for 16 of their games so far this season, they started with a 4-3-3, pretty traditional. Um, but they have also played a narrow diamond formation as well this year. So it'd be interesting how to see how they show up against us. Uh, there's there's websites. Wow. And there's you're also... The, and they've also... Well, not not really. The websites are the people that take me out of them. <laughs> um, I'm just a I'll just steal the information. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested to see how they shape up against us because obviously we play kind of traditional four three three when we're in possession of the ball. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how we shape up. And clearly, they have a very strong defensive uh, setup going on, and that's kind of something that I want to touch on when it look when we look at their their key players. So Joe Jacobson, who's the experienced Welsh left fullback, he's having a really good season for them. Uh, although I just touched upon how good defensively they are, he scored seven goals this season and got one assist from left back. So he's uh, certainly proven his worth. Uh, and kind of keeping on the theme of defenders, the two central defenders, the partnership between uh, Anthony Stewart and Darius Charles is also worthy of note, considering how strong Wickham's defence has been so far this season. And lastly, um, you know, love him or hate him, Adebayo Akinfemwa, or, or Bayo, as he's commonly known, has also been, you know, he's, he's doing some bits this year, um, and the big lad's netted six goals and got four assists this year. So I think he's he's certainly a, a vital part of Wickham's game plan. Um, so off the basis of those guys, what do we think going into this one? I mean, I predict a pretty cagey affair um, and I'm hoping we can edge it, but, you know, I'm not really, not really banking on it, but I'm going to go with a, I'm going to go with a 1-1. John, thoughts? A really difficult one. I mean, we do tend to raise our game against teams that are, at the top of the league, but they they feel like a team that will do a number on us. Um, but part of me doesn't think we'll we'll lose. Um, I think I'll I'll join you on a one one actually, or maybe a two two. Yeah, the two two. Okay, James. Two 0 to Oxford. Bold, like it. Confident and delivered. Henry. I'm, I think Brannigan should be a bit more well fitter. And James Henry should be back for that. Um, I'd probably expect Sykes to go back out to right wing. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Jack? Um, I think we'll win 1-0, but my main prediction is that there'll be more red cards than goals. Oh, all right. Interesting. Any player in particular? Uh, well... Gorin's going to get booked, didn't he? You can put your house on that. Yeah. So if he gets booked early, 
I don't see him lasting the game because I think they'll try and get him sent off. Yeah, interesting. So they have done well against the bigger team. Like, didn't they miss a penalty have. right at the end against Ipswich as well away? They yeah, did, the junior yeah. Or was that the other way around? Yeah, and then they beat Sunderland at home, didn't they as well? Yeah, they beat them only. They beat them one nil. Okay, yeah, maybe they, I was being a bit optimistic. They don't. It just seems to me as though Wickham don't score many goals, but their defensive record is brilliant. So it seems as if you know will be it'll be. I think it'll be quite cagey. Um, they haven't really rolled over any teams, so it will be interesting to see how it goes on Saturday. But we've got to get through the Man City game unscathed in terms of injuries, um, in order to put up a yeah. you know, put, put out a good team. So fingers crossed against City, we don't pick up anything because you know ultimately I think the league is is where our priority lies. So yeah, we'll see. It's a it's a sort of. Interesting week of football for an Oxford fan. I think two big games and hopefully they'll be two really good games as well. Yeah. I think nil nil is, is a good shout to be fair, but that's just boring, isn't it? So let's not say Yeah. That. Okay. Nice one, Connor. Is Ben? Ben, are you back with us? Okay, cool. Let's go <laughs> to the quiz. <laughs> I bet, I reckon Ben can hear us. He just can't say anything and we can't hear him. Um, Jack, it's the quiz. It is. Um, right, it, there's, there's two parts to this quiz, partly because I realised how dull the first part was, so I scrapped the second part that I was originally going to do. Um, so now you're all ready for that. Uh, part one is a number of centre-back questions, so centre-backs who've played for us uh, in the last about 20 years or so. And... Following our Listen to the Quickly Kevin podcast yesterday, I've done it in a bit like one of theirs. So you'll firstly hear a clue. And if you think you know the player at that point, shout out your name. If you get it from the first clue, you get five points. If you get it wrong, you'll be frozen out. And I'll I'll go down with up to three more clues. So essentially, if if you think you definitely know it, shout your name out. If you get it wrong, you're frozen out until the end of that particular player. So, number one, first clue. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There you go. (laughs) Got to, yeah. So, number one, first clue, worth five points. Uh, We signed this centre-back from Brighton in 2001. I nearly went in then. Okay, I'll move on. Uh, The next one will be worth three points. Uh, He made over 100 appearances for Oxford, many of those as captain. I'll move on again. So this one will be worth <laughs> two points. He then, when he left us, he joined Scunthorpe. Uh, no, and then the final one, which may help you out. Uh, he's been Nigel Adkins' assistant at John. five different clubs. Go on, John. Is it Andy Crosby? It is, yeah. So one point for there. Uh, question two. Prior to joining Oxford United, this player's former clubs included Brighton and Crawley Town. Moving on. His middle name is Maxwell. Of course. Yeah. He didn't score for... Go on, Connor. Jake Wright. Yes. Oh, do you know what? I was going to call it, but I was yeah. waiting for the next clue. Yeah. It, was, it, was, the, it, was, it was the Maxwell, because I, I, I spoke about that before tonight. Yeah. On one of the previous... Yeah, buzzing. So 3-3 three, three <laughs> for Connor there. Right, th- question three. This player was originally signed on loan from Swansea. 
I mean, that's, yeah. Moved down. <laughs> uh, he scored a bullet of a free kick away at Hull in John. 2000. Go on, John. Is it Matt Bound? It is Matt Bound, yes. Were you at the game? Who was that? Uh, uh, 2004. I wasn't at the game, but oh, yeah. I was. I, I had a feeling Matt Bound was going to come out. I nearly went when he said Swansea. I nearly went when he said Swansea. Okay, so three points for John there. Question four. Um, most obscure one, I think. Uh, he had a very short loan spell under Jim Smith um, in 2008. He later played oh. for Millwall and Bristol City. He's the current head coach of Brentford women's team. <laughs> Told you it's niche. And this might help. His initials are K-O. Not a clue. No. Well, it, you've given me three clues, but I still don't have one. <laughs> it was Carly Osborne. Oh. I don't so know very niche. And then the fifth, the fifth centre-back... Um, Six foot five, twenty-two year old when he signed for us. Connor. Go on. <laughs> Was it Kellyer? No. Uh, so you're phrasing out. Pure guess. Went for the five um, point jugular. Second clue. Ja James, I'm just gonna go for it. Go on. Jay Dunkley. No. You're also phrasing oh. out, so it's all on you, John. <laughs> Next clue. His only his only senior game time prior to prior to joining Oxford had come playing for a side in Belgium. Oh, oh, for um, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot Moore. <laughs> Why did we just please? Oh, God. Wow. Okay, so that's, that's the well, first we, five. We shot ourselves in the foot there, James, didn't we? Yeah. So John's leading seven points to three versus Connor. So the second part of today's quiz, because I ran out of centre-backs, is a round robin. So you'll each take a turn, going in order, Ben, Connor, John, to name any player from the twenty. Ben's not here. I was going to say, I, I oh, yeah. Ben's not involved because we'll be waiting all day Connor, for his answer. Connor, John, James, even, um, yeah. to name any player from the 15-16 squad who scored a league goal. And there was 13 of them, so we'll keep going until they're all frozen out. Point for each. So if we start with Connor. Danny Hilton. Yes. Alex McDonald. Yes. Circum. Yes. Oh, 15, 16. John Barry? Was he that season? Yes. Oh, it was. <laughs> John, Johnny Mullins? No, he did not oh. score in the league. Oh. Roof? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Johnny Mullins. Uh, O'Dowder? Yes. Oh. Oh. I was going to go O'Dowder, and I just didn't think of someone else. Uh, George Bulldog. Did he yes. score? Yes. Oh, shit. Uh. <sighs> Lundstrom? We said lunchroom? Yes. Oh, get in. Jesus Christ. When did Ledson play for us? Not then. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> James Roberts? No. 
crap. Oh. Is this, is it, have I got all that one to win it? No, I think I was the last one in the round. Yeah, you were the last one in the round. So, it. overall scores. Oh, well, other players you could have had for that were George Waring. Oh. Patrick oh, he must have, he must have only George Waring must have only scored one goal. He did. It hit him in the face and went in at Crawley. Yeah. Um, yeah. George Waring, Paddy Hoban, Ryan Taylor, Chris Maguire, and Che Dunkley. Oh, my God. Maguire. Oh, Maguire. Maguire. And Che Dunkley scored in the final day of the season, didn't he? The Wickham he did, yeah. So, Paddy Hoban scored a penalty, probably. I make oh, it. The only fucking time he could hit the net. I make yeah. it from my frantic scribbles of points that Connor took that by one point overall. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Nice Connor. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful Your stuff. God, that goes on a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't even know how I don't even know how the point scoring worked in the final round. How I managed to claw that back. Sure. Well done, mate. That's your ultimate knowledge. Two in a row, of, uh, isn't it? United. Uh, just, yeah. just the late knowledge. That's it. Cheers, cheers, guys. Cheers. You've got a brace of victories there. Um, it's all right. Yeah. I'll, I'll just as, as soon as this podcast is over for anyone or for anyone who's listening. You know, people do listen to this. Uh, <laughs> I'll just get slated and just be called a cheat because that's normally what happens whenever I do well because I'm young and they can't yeah. deal with it. So, if Ben had been Absolutely. here, I'd have won. That's... Right, I'm going on the fixtures page. I I was trying to work out where what we're doing about around. I feel like we should have done a festive pod, but I am. What, what are we going to do? Another one next week after the wicker? I think I can still do that. Is anyone still around? Yeah, I mean we've got a we've got a obviously we've got the ga- the two games this week, and then we've got um, the Lincoln City home game against. Then we can see a home game. Yes, obviously against us <laughs> on the right, on Boxing yeah. Day. <laughs> on Boxing Day, so we have got that game, uh, and then we've got Wimbledon away on uh, Sunday, the 29th. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, we can pick something up. Yeah, we probably better do one next week because we'll have those two games to talk about, and Lincoln's going to be a huge game on Boxing Day as well. Um, with, the re- with the return of of Map. Indeed, indeed. Right, uh, it's a bit of a long pod today. Ben, are you back with us to say goodbye? Only known as Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll make sure he's alive and uh, hopefully he's back with us on the next pod. But thanks for listening, peeps, and uh, have a good week. Mm